So our preacher for this Holy Monday is Reed Robertson. Reed is a graduate of Mississippi State University, an honors graduate in, uh, with a major in mathematics, and he is now a student at Reform Theological Seminary. We are coming up to, here at First Presbyterian, uh, the two-year anniversary, right, of Reed beginning with us in ministry. To the year uh, 2019 was a really important year for Reed. Most importantly, he married Madeline. Uh, right before then, he started as a ministry intern with us, working with me as a pastoral ministry intern. And then he also graduated from Mississippi State and began his work at RTS in 2019. So a lot of things happened a couple years ago. We're coming up to a whole bunch of anniversaries for him over the next, uh, you know, two to four or five months on the Mississippi State part. So in any event, we're blessed to have him. Now, over the last couple of years, uh, Reed, Reed's assignments, hats, mantles have expanded. So he is our coordinator for youth ministries at First Presbyterian. He's also our university ministry leader and coordinator. Uh, and he is uh, really the assistant minister, not yet ordained, but he is working in that mode. So in addition to being my pastoral intern, he's also our assistant ministry leader here at First Presbyterian. So all of the above, and we're really blessed to have him. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Reed and for him to bring God's word to us today. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. So if you would turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Hear God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless us this morning as we come to your word, and that you would make us holy as you are holy, that you would teach us to follow you in holiness, that you would teach us to follow your son into death. Would you remind us of his great sacrifice for us this week? Would you teach us to follow him there? In Jesus' name, amen. So it is Holy Week. 
Uh, yesterday we celebrated Palm Sunday and we had the, the kids um, come up and wave palms and celebrate in that way. But I think we often forget uh, that for Jesus, Palm Sunday was um, maybe not the greatest day of his life. And in fact, if you look in the Gospels, what Jesus actually did as he entered Jerusalem was that he began to weep. To, to weep. He looked at Jerusalem and he, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you near. And that same week, he went into the temple, and that's when he overturned the money changers' tables. That's when he uh, rebuked the Pharisees. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, the concern of Jesus was for their holiness. Jerusalem and the people of Israel were called to be holy. This uh, Peter quotes Leviticus here. You should be holy for I am holy. And the Israelites, the, the Hebrews, had a form of holiness. The Pharisees were scrupulous in, in keeping the commandments. The temple in Jerusalem was glorious and people came from all over to worship. But their holiness was a worldly holiness. They were set apart from the world, but they were not set apart to God. And so the call for us today is that we would be holy just as God is holy. But holiness is hard, and there's not a lot of worldly motivation for it. Um, the standard of biblical obedience and biblical holiness is very high. So why would we do it? What's the point? And if, if Jesus has already paid for your sins, why does it matter how you live? And the answer is that we are holy because God is holy. And so we've already talked about how holiness can be, um, there's a worldly holiness that the Pharisees were pursuing, that Herod was pursuing in building this great uh, temple complex. But there was, that holiness was not pleasing to God. And so Peter gives us a glimpse into what he means by pursuing holiness. If you look at verse 13, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So what is holiness from Peter's perspective? Holiness is an unwavering focus on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's a pursuit of the goal of communion with God. And it's being set apart, uh, not just from the world, but also having our minds and our hearts set on Jesus. But that still doesn't answer the question of motivation. Uh, if, if Jesus has paid our debts, why do we need to be holy? Well, this passage gives us three reasons why, would we, why, would we, why we would want to pursue holiness. So first, if you look at verses 14 and 15. We pursue holiness, God calls us to be holy, because we are children of a holy father. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So this is one of the key themes in Peter's letter here, of being born again. And we're not only born again, but we're born again to an inheritance in heaven. And what this means is that we're born again into God's family. It's the adoption 
into God's family. Now, one thing we all know about families is they have characteristics. Uh, parents expect their children to behave a certain way. Um, I'm a Robertson, and when I was a teenager, my dad always told me when I left the house to make good choices. And, and a characteristic of being a Robertson was that that was the call every time I left the house, to make good choices. We have uh, family traditions. Your family probably has specific things that you do on Christmas and Easter. You're probably gearing up right now for what uh, your family traditions look like in Easter. And so when, we are, when we're born into a family, we take on all of these identity markers. And in the same way, when we're born again into God's family, we're called to pick up the identifying markers of what it means to be a part of God's family. So the question is, what is the defining characteristic of God's family? What does a child of God do? The answer is holiness. The defining mark of the family of God is that they are set apart for God. They're called to be his people and to follow him in his righteousness, to follow him in his suffering, to follow him in his holiness. So to, to be holy, for I am holy, that call is a reminder of our belonging, that you are a child of God and that he has expectations for you. He expects you to be like him and to obey him. And so when he calls us to be holy, he's calling us ultimately to become part of the family and to follow him as a loving father. But he doesn't stop there. If you look at verse 17, it says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So notice what it says here. God judges impartially. What does an impartial judge do? Does an impartial judge uh, play favorites? Is he lenient on his own children? No. An impartial judge is truly impartial. He, he considers the value of the law, and he follows the law no matter who he's judging. So just to clarify, there's, we could debate about this, but um, what Peter's talking about is not final judgment. What Peter is referring to is a day-by-day -day judgment, God measuring what you do. And the Bible tells us that there are earthly blessings and curses for our obedience. And there are heavenly rewards and curses, or heavenly rewards, no curses, for our obedience. And so, uh, not only as children, but as servants of a judge, we want to seek God's reward and seek God's favor. Seek the favor of the only righteous judge and the judge who defines holiness and defines the law and defines righteousness. So often we, we seek the favor of earthly judges. What does, it, um, what does my neighbor think of me? What do the other parents at the soccer field think of me? But at the end of the day, the only judge that counts is the righteous judge in heaven. And so we seek God's favor because he is the righteous judge. And the third motivation, be holy because you were bought with a price. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, 
such as silver or gold, but with what? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. You were bought with Christ's blood. So what does that mean? It means you were dead in sin, you were a slave to sin, and you were a child of sin. But now, through the redemption of Christ, who God raised from the dead, you are alive in Christ. You are a servant of the King of Kings, and you are a child of God. And so we owed an unpayable debt to God for our sin, but Christ paid the debt for us. And you also notice here, the, the language is slave language, which we're sort of uncomfortable with as Americans. We, um, we think slavery was in the past. That's not something that we want to um, deal with. But, um, and I think that's a right impulse to, to, be, um, to have a bad taste for slavery, at least in an earthly way. But Christians are called to be slaves and servants of God. And so the Bible is clear that on, that on earth, it's better to be free than a slave. But why, why is that? Earthly freedom means that we only serve one master. Um, you may remember the story of Naaman, uh, who was a Syrian general. He was a leper, though. And despite all of his great exploits, he was still plagued by this disease. And so... Uh, he hears from a girl that um, he was actually a master of her. Um, she was his slave. That there's a man in Israel that can help you. And his name was Elijah. He, Elisha, he was a prophet of God. And so Naaman, he's hopeless. Despite all of his success, he's still stricken with leprosy. And he goes to Elisha. And if you remember the, the story, Elisha tells him to go wash seven times the Jordan. And he, he's not a big fan of the idea, but um, eventually he does go and wash, and he's healed. But one aspect of the story that we often miss is that Naaman comes back after being healed, and he, he says, your, your God is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. And so I, I want to honor him as the true God, but I'm a Syrian general. And when I go back to Syria, I'm expected to bow down before another master. And so, despite the fact that God has healed Naaman, that he proclaims God as the true God, he still goes back to Syria, and he bows down. And he's not free. But we're blessed in that we don't have the same obligations the name it had. When Jesus purchases, purchases us with his blood, he frees us from all bonds. And we can face any situation with freedom in Christ because we know that. And so often we bow down to other gods, we bow down to other masters because we feel like, oh, it's my duty, it's my obligation. But you have freedom in Christ. Christ has purchased your redemption. And so you are totally free to bow to him and him alone. So you, 
You're called to holiness because you were bought with a price. And so these are the motivations. We're called to be holy because we're children of God who's adopted us. We're born again into his family and we're born again to an inheritance in heaven. Our father, that same father, is a righteous judge who judges our deeds and who rewards us. And finally, we, we are servants and slaves of God. So we're holy because we're bought with a price, with an immeasurable price in Christ's blood. So what does holiness look like? Uh, Peter talks about preparing your minds, being sober-minded, and setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to set our hope on the revelation of Jesus Christ? It means to follow him, to pursue him. And this week, as we're reminded of Jesus' uh, great sacrifice for us, we remember that we're called to follow him, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow him into death, so that we too can be raised with him in glory. So follow him. Be holy. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a part of the family of God, be holy as your Father is holy. Love and serve him. And as, we, as he died for you, you also follow him into death. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.